Father, thank you for this time together this morning. Thank you, Lord, that while we were still sinners, you died for us. Lord, we thank you that your grace is more than sufficient to meet our every need. God, I pray this morning that you would open the eyes of our hearts that we might receive from you. Lord, give us clarity into the the vision, the mission that you've given to us. And Lord, let us see as you see and hear as you hear. And Lord, if there's one that doesn't know you today, I pray that you draw them by the power of your, your spirit this day. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're in the book of Revelation, chapter 3. Revelation, chapter 3. As we continue in our study of the churches of Revelation. And um, as we looked at last week, uh, as you go back and you study, uh, you will notice that uh, there are commendations and condemnations to most of the churches. And uh, matter of fact, if we go back and we look at the Old Testament language, you see that there were prophetic oracles that were given to the people of that day. And there would be messages that would be given to him and said, look, you're in covenant with me as God to the nation, uh, to the Hebrew children, to the nation of Israel. You are in covenant with me. And since you're in covenant with me, uh, that means that you are going to have a, a public and an open and a legal binding contract with me, Yahweh God. And I will be your God and you will be my people. But I want you to obey me and I want you to follow my precepts and I want you to recognize me as your God and your God alone. And so I want you to recognize that, that you are in covenant with me. And then in the New Testament, we see uh, that Jesus here in Revelations chapter 2 and 3, he again is giving prophetic oracles. Now, when you see these oracles or you see uh, you see these messages given uh, to the churches, uh, a lot of times we think about prophecy as simply being something that is going to occur in the future. We think it's foretelling. But really, more often than not, prophecy was foretelling. Let me tell you, this is what's going on, and if you don't address it, this is what's coming. And that's what the Old, Old Testament uh, prophets did. That's what Daniel did. That's what Hosea did. Okay, that's what Isaiah did. That's what Jeremiah did. They would make these prophetic utterances. They would give the word. They said, look, you're in covenant with God, and if you break or if you're unfaithful to this covenant, if you don't return and reestablish a proper covenant, then you have broken the legal side. It's a personal covenant, but it's also a legal agreement. And if, since you have broken that co- that covenant, these are going to be the consequences. And Jesus right here is doing really the same thing. He's foretelling. He's saying to the churches, look, uh, church of Ephesus, if you don't return to your first love, uh, then you're not going to receive the blessing of my spirit. You're not going to pr- receive the protection of my spirit, okay? I'm not going to be able to move in you, and there's a cost. There's a judgment that will come. He goes on to the church uh, of Pergamum. and the church of Smyrna, there is no judgment given. But the ch- church of Pergamum, look, clean up your doctrine. Address the issues that are in your church, or uh, there's going to be a judgment that will come your way. It's a foretelling of what will occur. He goes on and he tells the church of Thyatira, I, I know you, you are doing some great things and some great deeds, but you're tolerating some false doctrine. There, there's some sin in your church that you have to address. And if you don't, then I'm going to remove my spirit. Uh, you're going to experience judgment in your congregation, in your church. And then Sardis, he tells them that we'll look at briefly today. We looked at briefly last week. Look, you need to wake up. Yes, you were a great church in the past. And yes, you've got a building. And yes, it looks like things are fine on the outside. But you need to wake up. 
or my judgment's going to come. He gives that message. He gives that oracle to each one of them. And we see that pattern throughout the seven churches here in the book of Revelation. He lets them know that, look, you were in a covenant agreement. And in the New Testament, we are still in a covenant agreement, but we're in the covenant of grace because Christ has died upon the cross and we receive Him. We receive our salvation by faith through His grace. But there's still a covenant. It's a new covenant of grace. And what Christ wants us to do is to recognize, hey, salvation comes from Him and from Him alone. And we are to trust Him. We are to obey Him. We are to remember what He's done. And we are to be obedient. And we are to repent when we fall short of living up to the covenant that He's given us. To living up to our faithfulness and to worship Him and to make Him our God, the God of our life. Not just personally. You know, we live in a culture today that um, very much values the private and the personal, don't we? And we kind of bring that into our church, kind of bring that into salvation. We kind of go, well, you know, that's personal and private, which it is. It is. Uh, Our covenant, our, our relationship with Christ, it is a personal matter. But can I tell you this? It was never meant to be a private matter for the believers. It was always meant to be public. In the Old Testament, you see those covenants were made publicly. And in today, when we trust Christ, part of the reason that we join the church, part of the reason that we are baptized is so that we can make the public proclamation. You don't see in the church, that's one of the things that they're condemned for, that it's a secret. I don't, I don't ever tell anybody, I don't let anybody know that I'm a part of that church. I don't let anybody know that I, I know Christ. I'm just, I'm just going to kind of keep this to myself. That's a condemnation that God, that Christ is sending to Sardis. Look, you aren't speaking out. You aren't being used. People, there's no persecution. We don't hear about any persecution happening to Sardis. We, we hear it about the other church, many of the other churches, but nothing's happening in Sardis because nothing's really going on. You know, uh, Matt Jones, uh, one of our, one of my friends that accepted Christ a, a few weeks ago, we were talking this week, and he said, you know, I want to follow through with baptism because one of the reasons is because I want to make that public because it's time for me. You know, I, my friends here know, my church knows, but I need to take that public step. He goes, he says, that is my motiva- motivation okay? I go, that's exactly what baptism is. That's one of the reasons we practice believers' baptism because it is pu- making public the covenant that has been made with us uh, through the person of Jesus Christ, our Savior. So let's begin here in Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, beginning with the first verse. And we'll just read the first few verses, and then we're going to skip down to Philadelphia. To the angel of the church of Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. You know, I'm I'm helping coach uh, my son's uh, uh, little little league football flag football team, and so they're, they're, we're doing upwards. So it's like age four to seven. Uh, so we I think we've only got like one seven year old on our kids. We've got these four, five, and six year old kids out there, and uh, you know the game will be going on sometimes. And, uh, you know, I'll get, we'll get them in a position, the game's turn, and then something happens. And, uh, you know, they'll walk over and they'll start picking things up or they're just looking around and the ball comes around. You know, and I'm going, wake up! Wake up! There's a, it's going! It's happening right now! The game's happening! They go, Can I get some water? No! The game's going! They're running a play! Go grab the flag! 
you know, and it's like a constant reminder of refocusing. Come up, come over here. You stand here. Don't turn here. Don't talk to your friend. Don't turn your back. And it, it's wake up. It wake up. You know, and it's kind of the message of the church. Look, you're doing a lot of other things, but you're missing the game. You're missing what I'm doing. I'm working in this world. And yes, it may be difficult and it's hard and it's painful, but I want you to know I am opening doors and I am moving. The question is, are you moving with me? Are you working with me? The church of Sardis obviously was not. He was telling them, wake up. It's a message for us as believers in Christ. Wake up. It's the normal thing for us to just kind of drift over and just, just doing church, just showing up. I'm just existing. We just kind of get in our little, you know, if you read your devotional, your Rock Point devotional this week, we kind of get in our fantasy world. And instead of having a mission and a dream and a purpose, we find ourselves just in, in the fantasy. You know, I wish I was rich and didn't have to work going to church. You know, I could do a lot for this church and I could do a lot of things. I wish my children would grow up. I wish my husband would grow up. And we, we get into all these little fantasies that we start to get in and, and then we just kind of don't do anything. We just kind of daydream, watch TV, read the newspaper, and we find ourselves existing and thinking about what could be one day through fantasy. But you know what he's saying to the church at Sardis? Wake up! You know, you're not experiencing any persecution because you're not doing anything. Wake up! You are dead and you don't even know it. Your life is serving no purpose and you don't even recognize it. Wake up! You know, that's why I'm excited that God has given our church a dream, a vision. Matter of fact, if you would, Terry, put put that up there. I, I wanted to show you the vision that God has given us. The mission is loving God with all that we are while making more and better followers of Christ. And You know, do you realize that actually started about 11 years ago? That mission. It was just a dream. It was just a mission. And let me define for you. I'll give you my definition. The difference between a dream and a fantasy. A fantasy is all about pleasure. What can I do to get pleasure? What can I do about me? Just make life good and easy and simple and and, and just, you know, fun. That's that's kind of what a fantasy is. A dream is this. It's about a purpose. It's about making impact. It's about transformation. That's what a mission. And we look at our, our mission and our vision. It's the dream that we have. We launched nine years ago the church at Lantana in Lantana. And some of you may not even know that. We started, uh, we started off, there's only about uh, 12 or 13 of us. And then we launched. And that, we launched with that first Sunday. We had over 100 people. And and that's about what we ran for a while, somewhere between 50 to 100 people. Then we procured land, the land that we're on right now. Uh, we were, uh, our members sacrificed. We put a building here. Uh, and then we, the scent that we've started, we began to uh, plant churches and send people out. Uh, we have a couple of folks that are on the mission field now. Uh, and the next step will be to build, kind of complete our base camp here. Uh, to where we can be in a position numerically and financially where we can send, uh, continually send people out to plant, continually send people on the mission field, uh, sending short-termers. We've got some dreams about some things that we can do of having people living part-time overseas and part-time here, making an, uh, making an impact in third world countries. Uh, and we're going to advance with that. We're going to continue that to sponsor children. Uh, we're going to continue to see that happen. We're going to get that summit to where God has put us in a place where we're just continually sending people out. 
we won't care about how many people we have anymore because we'll be at a place where we can send enough out that we'll have room for others. And we can continue to send 100, 150, 200 people out where it doesn't have an adverse effect upon the church as a whole. And so that's our dream. That's our vision. Uh, it's not a fantasy. It's not simple. It's not easy. It's not about pleasure. It's about a dream that God has placed in our hearts. And uh, that's why we're doing the journey. And you have a little envelope in your uh, in your bulletin or in the back of your chair, and we want you to be praying about how God will help you, how God will help us accomplish that base camp and how you can be a part of that. So we want you to be praying faithfully about it. And he was just as he was telling the church of Sardis, I think that that message is still good for us today. Wake up. Wake up. There's a message there. Matter of fact, anytime you look at Scripture, uh, you, you have to look at it from at least three standpoints. First of all, we were seminary, we were taught this. Look at it and understand there was a message for that day. There was a principle for that day. So when they read Revelation, it wasn't like they go, oh, man, that'll be good for people 2,000 years from now. No, it was very relevant for them that day. They were experiencing persecution or they were about to experience persecution. And they were affirmed and they were encouraged as they read this message, as they read these letters, as the church received these letters. It had a message for that day specifically. But you know what? Today it has a message for us. God is still calling us to wake up, to return to our first love, to deal with the sin in our church, to repent. It's a message for us today. And then there's the universal principle. It's always going to be true. And he says right here, we'll notice he'll say, remember. Remember the covenant that you were in. Remember the relationship. Remember the commitment you've made. Obey. And repent. You've got to do that. Read here. He says that. He says, I know your deeds and your reputation, but you're dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains there. I have not found your deeds complete. You've quit. You've stopped. You've fallen short. And what does he say? Remember. Remember what you've received, the salvation and the covenant that you received. Obey it and repent. That's a message for us as believers today. It was a message to the church of Sardis for that day. It's a message for us today to remember what Christ has done, the covenant commitment that we're in, and to obey the precepts that He has given us and to repent. Let's skip down to the church of Philadelphia, the church that was on mission, a church that God commends and has no condemnation for. He says to the church of Philadelphia, beginning in verse 7, These are the words of Him who is holy and true and who holds the key of David. And what he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. You know, I I bought a car a good while back. I bought a Mazda, and, and I was shocked. And this was years ago. I was shocked by these new keys that they have. And um, because, you know, I grew up in an area where most of you did, where we got a key, and if we want to replace it, we go spend 2 or $3, and they make us another key, and you put it in the ignition. Well, now the car industry, and I'm, I'm, God forgive you if you'll work for the car industry right now, but uh, I'm not picking on you. I could pick on everybody. Uh, but now they've come up with this way uh, to, to really get you on the keys because I had this little key, and all I did, I, I would press this button, it would flip up. That was really all it did, and it would open my door, okay? And uh, I thought, and, and when I bought that car, I only got one key, so I went to get another, and they go, that'll be $279. I go, for the car or for the key? They said, that's what your key will be. And I'm thinking, you're kidding me. 
And so I'm cheap. So what I did, I said, I said, okay, I just want just the key part that'll unlock the door. I don't care about that remote stuff. How much will you charge me just for the key part? Well, that'd be sixty-seven dollars. I'm like, all right, I'll take the sixty-seven dollars. So I found some place online that would sell me the other part for another sixty or seventy dollars. And so I saved a hundred bucks and went through. It took me about two hours to figure out how to turn the thing on. Uh, but but I had I had the spare key. Well, this time. You know, this time I go and I, I buy a Volkswagen. This time you click a button, the thing doesn't even come up. But I'm smart enough this time when I when I buy the car and I go, by the way, I'd like an extra key. Because I know somebody in my family's going to lose a key. Probably me. Someone, went, I want an extra key. And they go, those things are like $300. Well, if I'm buying this car, it ain't going to be $300. I want the key thrown in. And so, so they threw the key in. And but if I lose these keys, it's like $300 for this crazy key. And you stick it in there, and it turns car on. Okay. And just stick it in there. It's kind of that is kind of nifty that it doesn't have the point anymore, and I don't jab myself in the leg. But anyway, uh, you just stick it in, there and, and it works. But it's three hundred dollars. But you know what? It only works for my car. It only works for my car. And I can try to put it in other cars. I can try to put it in a doorknob. I can try to put so it. It was made specifically for my car, and it's programmed for my car. And so it's kind of it's kind of a little neat feature. But the the deal is is there's only one key. One, and matter of fact, and, and I had to have all these reprogrammed when I got the extra key. I had to have them all reprogrammed because it's the only one that's going to work in my car. Somebody else can have a car just like my car and key, and it won't work. It's programmed for that key and for that car. The Bible says here that Je- speaking of Jesus, who is holy and true and who holds the key of David, the word key of David, uh, and that's a reference to Isaiah 22, 22. Uh, and if we went back and read the whole story about a steward, uh, there was a steward named uh, Shebna, and then he was replaced by Elohim. And Elohim was the steward uh, of the house, this kind of steward of the uh, of the um, of the kingdom at that point of anybody who had access access to the king. And that steward would have, so to speak, would have the key and the access to come before the king. He decided who came in and who did who was denied accessibility. And he was the one who kind of held the key, so to speak, metaphorically. That steward did. And in this reference right here, we see that the one who has uh, the authority, the one who has the accessibility is Jesus Christ before the Father. We don't come to the Father but through the Son, through Jesus Christ. So he holds the key. And he is the one and only key. These are the words of him who's holy and true and who holds the key of David, who holds the key of the kingdom for which we will one day dwell. What he opens, no one can shut and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed you an open door that no one can shut. And I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Now, Philadelphia was a smaller church. It wasn't a large church. As a matter of fact, both Sardis and Philadelphia were built on a fault line uh, where earthquakes would, would happen, a lot like they do in California. And the city had been destroyed, actually, numerous times, several times throughout history. It had been given this name, Philadelphia, that of brotherly love. And the church that existed there uh, certainly was under persecution. And not only that, was it under persecution, but it was a small church. It wasn't a particularly talented church or a wealthy church. It didn't have a lot going on for it, but it was a faithful church. It was faithful to the Word of God. It was faithful to the mission that God had given them. And He affirms them for it. He said, I want to affirm you for for being about the mission, for being faithful. I want to affirm you for the doors that I am opening for you and that you're willing to walk through. Now, 
Uh, that, I believe that door can go, really you can use it twice, two ways. First of all, it's the door of salvation. We just talked about the key of David. Uh, but it's also the door of opportunity for the church. If we read further on in this chapter, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, you've heard this verse before. Jesus is knocking on the door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone would open the door and come in, I will sup with him and he with me. And he's writing that to the church of Laodicea. So it gives the picture that Jesus is knocking on the door of the church. And we know that Jesus opens doors and closes doors. We know that he has opened the door for the Gentiles. He has opened the door through the new covenant of grace for anyone who would come. And he makes that very available. We read on and he talks, I know you have opposition here in this little church. And I know that people have come against you in verse 9. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, those who have come against you, those who have called you harm, those who have persecuted, those who say that they are true, fulfilled Jews, but they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. One day that's going to happen. Every, every knee will bow before Christ Jesus and he, he will recognize who the true followers of Christ are. But since you have kept my command to endure patiently, to endure patiently. Now what's interesting, that word right there, endure patiently, uh, is hupomino, okay? And mino would simply be to hold fast to. But hupo means to hyper hold or to hyper stand. It's the picture of bear hugging and holding on. That you're not going to be moved. That you're going to stand firm. It's the same picture that was given to us in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 when the Bible says that Jesus Christ, hupomino, the cross, that he embraced the cross he clung to the cross for our sake. He said, because you have hupomeno, because you have hyperstood in the face of oppression, in the face of difficult circumstances. If we go back to the, to the beginning of that verse, what is, excuse me, at the beginning of this text, what did he say? I'm going to open the doors. I know your deeds. I, I know what is going for you. And I'm the one who opens the doors and closes the doors. You know, What's interesting about open and closed doors for the Christian is that we see it differently. You see, this church right there, they, they had a lot of doors closed for them economically, socially, politically. The church of Philadelphia had doors that were constantly being closed because of what they stood for, because of who they were. The advancement, the finances, they were being hurt because doors were being closed. But there were other doors that were being opened. Opportunity to see people come into the kingdom. To see lives transformed. And Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to open and shut doors for you. And when doors are closed, let me tell you this. Remember my authority. Remember I am in control. Hey, we understand that today, don't we? That God is ultimately in control. That He is ultimately the one who opens and closes the doors of our life. Some of us like to think, you know, well, tell you what, the reason I am where I am, see, I was raised, I didn't grow up with any money. I didn't grow up with a whole lot, but I kind of made the best of my circumstances. I've earned everything I have, every penny I have, every position I have, everything I have, I've earned it, I tell you. Let me ask you this. Were you responsible for what country you were born in? You do recognize that you live in the top 5% of the economic world. There's a 95% chance you could have been born somewhere that you wouldn't have had that opportunity. It wouldn't have mattered how hard you pulled your bootstraps up. You still could not have gotten out of the economic situation you were in. You were blessed. 
God opened that door for you. What about your race? What about your height? What about your health? God opened that door for you. You didn't make it happen. It was a gift, a gift of grace that God has given to you. And the very nature, by very nature that you've been able to get an education or you've been able to work hard is because God put you in an environment. He put you in a place where that was even possible. The salvation that's been offered to you, you didn't earn that. It was a gift given by God. It was a door that was placed before you and opened. And all you had to do was walk in and receive it. So if that's the truth, if God is ultimately in charge, if He is, if Jesus Christ has uh, taken our situation, if He has taken our lives and He's totally redeemed it, then what can we do but recognize Him and recognize that He's the God of the universe and praise Him and give Him the credit and give Him the glory, recognizing that every good gift has come ultimately from His hand. You see, when the Christian finds a door that's closed, that's not doesn't have to be the end of it. When we try to get into a door, relationship-wise, hey, we all had that. At some point, there was a guy or girl that you liked, and you knocked on their door, and they go, I don't think so. Or maybe you thought you were in, and they shut that door on you. You were in, and they go, uh, no more. And you wouldn't have the spouse and the children you have today. And, and, and most of you ought to just give thanks right now, especially me. You ought to just give thanks to God that that door was shut. You could have been crying and weeping on that door. And you ought to say, thank God that he did not open that door for me. Some of you economically, vocationally, you're knocking on a door. And maybe there's a door that's shut and you're thinking, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? What is going on? Can I tell you this? For the Christian, this is something we have that believers in people who are not believers in Christ don't have. When their doors are closed, it's not necessarily redeemable. For the Christian, can, do you believe this? That God redeems all things? He redeems everything. He redeems even the mistakes in our life, if you allow us. There's a couple in here that shared my small group. Matter of fact, they're sitting in here right now. They came and shared just a horrendous situation that happened in their marriage. And you would look at it and you'd think, how can God be glorified for that? And they're saying, you know what? We're just thankful that God can now use it. And they've opened the door and God's using it. God's redeemed it. Matter of fact, she said, you know, God's redeemed it. He should redeem it all. And I'm thankful. I wouldn't want it to happen again, but I'm thankful. Because God redeems all things. He opens and shuts the door. The door, it looks like it's locked shut. And like, it's over. There's nothing good can come out of it. Hey, locally here, anybody familiar with a church called Denton Bible? Denton Bible, what a great flagship church. Do you realize how that church started? There's a guy named Mel Summerall. He was the first pastor. Mel Summerall was working at a plant over in Denton. And Mel Summerall, uh, his, his daughter died. And he was in such disarray that he just began to search for answers. And someone shared the gospel with him. He accepted Christ. He went to seminary and came back and started Denton Bible. And Denton Bible exists now because of the pain, because of the closed door, because of a situation that without Christ you would say, what good could ever come out of that? And God used that pain 
to start a church that has affected literally thousands and thousands of lives. Some of you have been a part of that church before. Uh, I, matter of fact, I used to direct a ministry called Metro at uh, Prestonwood and where Tommy Nelson would come and speak, and there were literally thousands of people that, that came to know Christ through that ministry and through the ministry of Denton Bible. And it all started through a shut door, a shut door in the death of a child that made a man say, I've got to have a purpose. I can't live in the fantasy. I've got to have purpose. I've got to see some kind of value and purpose come out of this situation. That's the beautiful part of serving Christ and God Almighty, that He can redeem all things for His glory. So, let's shrink it down here and make it a little bit more simplistic for us today. So, what is God doing for us today? And what does God want to do for us today? What door, what is He knocking at today? What door is being knocked on in your heart? What opportunities are available for you today? Well, I want to just give you some very simple ones. And I'm sure uh, God has greater plans and bigger things out there uh, than these, these things. But here's a place to start. Number one, salvation. For some of you, he's knocking on the door of your heart. It's time to believe, to trust, and to give me control of your life. It's time to let me come in and to forgive you of your sins and to become a follower of Christ. It's time for you to follow through with believer's baptism. And he's knocking on that door. And you can say no, and you can wonder why. That doesn't seem to help me any. doesn't seem to do me any good. That's because just like Revelation 3.20, Jesus is still on the outside. Are you going to let Him in? For some of you that know Christ, you need to take another step. And you need to be either part of a small group or a Bible study. You need to begin to grow in your faith, and you need to have some accountability. And God is knocking on that door. For some of you, you need to begin to serve. We have lots of opportunities to serve. We have lots of children who have uh, special needs and needs that uh, that you can make a big impact in. There are other opportunities to serve. Are you willing to open that door? Some of you need to share. You need to share your faith and you need to share your resources. As we embark upon this journey, as we try to establish the the base camp, God is calling you to step up and give, quite frankly. He's knocking on the door of your heart. You can go, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. You can stick your finger in the ears, but he's knocking. And some of you, God is going to send away from our church for the purpose of missions. He's going to send you overseas. He's going to send you to help us start another church, another location. He's going to send you to one of the missions that we're involved with. You're going to go. I say you're going to go. You're going to receive the call. The question is, are you going to go? When God knocks upon the door of your heart. You know, I just don't believe in this whole, I don't think, I don't know what God wants me to do. This seems like there's nothing for me to do. You know what you're saying is, I want a fantasy. <laughs> I want something that feels good. I want to be in front of everybody. I want everybody to like me. <laughs> I want to be happy. I don't want to feel a certain way. And, and God's saying, you know what? Come over here to the mission. I'm not about you feeling happy. I'm about transforming your life. I'm about using you for purpose and for mission. For it's the purpose for which you were created was to bring me glory, not for you to just simply receive pleasure. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody would open the door, I'll come up and I'll fellowship with him. I'll bring peace. I'll bring purpose. I'll bring mission. If anyone would open that door and receive me, 
He receives the gifts, not only heaven, but the gifts of today. The purpose of today. Behold, I make all things new. We serve a God who can redeem all things. Will you open the door of your heart this day? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you that while we were still sinners, you died for us. And Lord, I pray right now that, Lord, as you have knocked on the door of our hearts, uh, Lord, that we would take that next step. For some, Lord, we need to be involved in all five of those steps. (laughs) We need to be doing them all. Uh, Lord, brothers, they just need to begin the process. For some, they need to take the next step. Lord, I pray that you would lead them and you'd draw them so that you might be glorified. And Lord, as we come before your table now, I pray that you would help us to remember the covenant that you've made with us. As we receive of this, we remember the grace and the mercy that was shown to us at the cross through your death, burial, and resurrection. Salvation has been afforded to us. Sin and death have been conquered. And so, Lord, we thank you for opening that door of salvation and giving us life and life abundantly. As we receive, we remember, and we worship, and we say thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.